Hi, my name's Olivia Harnish, and this is my brother, Wesley. And we'll be reading from 1 John 2, 7 through 11. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you, but uh, it, is, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new Jesus lived the truth of this um, commandment in you also all living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is also living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light, but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking the darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go and have having been blinded by the darkness. Thank you, Liv and Wesley. My name is Dustin Souter. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I haven't been able to be up here for a little while due to my schedule, so I'm excited to be back with you in this uh, setting. Um, we're going to start off with prayer. We have a, a Guatemala team that we want to just cover in prayer as they come back today uh, through the air. They've been down with Village of Hope and uh, an orphanage uh, ministry in Guatemala, and we're excited about our ongoing partnership with that orphanage and ministry. Um, this team is coming back to us. We do want to mention that um, Joel Martin is not able to come back. He was on the team and got very sick, in fact, pneumonia sick. And so he is actually at a hospital um, so we're going to pray for his health, that his lungs and body can get back um, so that he's able to go on a plane and return to his wife, Natalie, and their son and daughter this week. That's our, that's our goal. That's our prayer this morning. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church, your word, this time of worship together this morning. We thank you for one another. And we thank you for the team. They took time off work, they raised money, and they were able to go and, and represent um, you uh, in Guatemala with this ministry that we partner with through the years. And we just pray for uh, on the ground that they did make a difference and that their lives were changed and touched at the same time. And as they return today, we pray for safety. They, they, they will be able to return to their families in, in the case of Joel, that you would be close to him as in the, he's in the hospital and that uh, you would touch his body so that it can heal up and be strong enough to come back and be re reunited with his wife and kids. We thank you for uh, the ministries and the support that we have here at MBIC. Thank you that we can go out beyond these four walls, that it's much bigger than just us. Thank you for our lives and what you call us to this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So... I am a space geek. I love space. And, and, and I like to read books about space. And I watched Apollo 13 and cried like a baby. I love space movies, space documentaries. 
Um, so this week, as uh, if you caught the news at all and, and saw that this Falcon Heavy was being blasted off, I was just like trying to check it throughout the day to see what was happening, what was going on. Um, and I was incredibly amazed. I mean, I, I saw in, in pictures of the two boosters that took this thing into, into space where the two boosters usually just disintegrate or fall into the ocean. But these things like turned around and came back down and like backed themselves down right on the, a landing pad. And I was blown away. I was like, am I in Star Wars? This is amazing. I was like a kid at Christmas morning. Like, wow. And then this rocket is going to reach Mars in six months, we think. And I'm like, what, what universe am I living in? This is amazing. So I, I loved it. This, I would say this week, if you're into rockets, was a really big achievement. If you're into sports at all, uh, it seems that earlier on this week, a Pennsylvania NFL team not named the Steelers... may have finally won a really big game. And for them, it was a really big achievement and for all the fans. And personally, uh, I spent time, this is kind of the time of the year where I pull all my files together and clean out all of 2017 files. And I just get my like, personal finances like in order, and it's tax time. So I'm trying to get all that stuff ready. And um, I think doing our taxes is a big achievement. <laughs> So 1 Corinthians 13, we already read a piece of it. Paul really calls out that if you just concentrate on the big achievement, you might miss a lot of what happens in our Christian faith. That, that the means to an end is so important. The means are so important. The process in which we achieve something is so important. In the middle of all that, have you loved? Have you loved well? Have you valued other people? Or have you left a path of destruction behind you? Right out of 1 Corinthians, if I could speak in all the languages of the earth, for me, that would have been great. I wouldn't have had to take Spanish 1, 2, or 3 in high school. If I could do all of that, but I didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, if I knew God's secret plans, and then I could tell that mountain to move and it would but I did not love others, I would be nothing. It's pretty strong language. If I gave everything to the poor, which would be a great thing, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. This first story or fable comes from early America, and it comes from the Mississippi River. And there's two boats, and they're steamboats. And they meet out, they're leaving port, and they need to get to New Orleans. And they happen to both be doing something similar. They're carrying very nice furniture made in St. Louis, and they need to get down to New Orleans. So their job is to transport this furniture to New Orleans. Well, they, they seem to keep traveling next to each other. And you can imagine some sailors, like, hanging out and talking to one another. At some point, they make this about a competition. And they're starting to bet about which ship is better and which ship could maybe make it to New Orleans faster. And so they, they, they make their wages, and they, they say this is their bet, and they start jawing back and forth. And pretty soon, they're stoking the fire. They're adding more coal. They're adding more coal. And they're burning through their coal faster than they had expected. And so they're racing down the Mississippi, and they are like neck and neck, and they're one day away from port. And at some point, the one ship just pulls away. And the other ship is just trying to limp into port with the coal that they have left. And so the slow ship 
makes it into port, and they can't believe that they just got burnt on the last day. They can't believe what just happened. But they look over at these sailors who are very pleased with themselves because they won. And they realize that as they look across the deck of their ship, that all the cargo boxes had been torn apart and used as fuel for the fire. In fact, all the furniture had basically been torn apart and used to stoke the fire. In order to win, in order to get the big achievement, they sacrificed everything that was important. And so in our lives, it's, it's fine to have big achievements or goals. But if we're sacrificing the things that we're called to protect and care for, we're missing the entire point. John comes and he preaches. This is very much a, a sermon to a church as he presents 1 John. And John knew Jesus so well. They both would have claimed that they were best friends. So we can look at John's interpretation of, of Scripture and Jesus and get a good glimpse into who Jesus was. And we see in John, in basically all of his writings, we see a Jesus that's, that is exclusive, meaning some people are in, some people are out. Some follow, some choose not to. Some have faith, some don't. Some believe and some don't. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people enter through a narrow gate. And so there is a message that's exclusive. But at the same time, and maybe only Jesus can do this well, at the same time, his love for others was incredibly inclusive to the point that it just offended everyone or they didn't get it. And so he would hang out with the top of the social ladder and then the bottom of the social ladder. And it didn't seem to matter to Jesus which one it was. He'd eat, he'd hang out, and then people would criticize him for either one. So John witnessed this firsthand. He saw the width and the depth of Jesus' love for others again and again. He watched Jesus' love for his close friend like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He saw Jesus love lost souls like the rich young ruler. He saw Jesus love his own mother and say, John, when he was on the cross, I need you to take care of our mom. And a love for his enemies. A love for his enemies that maybe John hadn't seen before. Even the ones that carried out his whipping, false charges, and execution. So who is this John? Well, at the time that he's writing, it appears that he's probably the oldest living disciple on earth. We think he might have lived about 100 years. And he was the most authoritative Christian leader at the time. Because honestly, all the disciples before that had been killed off. We do believe that John was boiled alive and survived. And he didn't deny Jesus and he didn't die in that moment. So they exiled him to a rugged, lonely island called Patmos. It's a barren place in the middle of the sea covered with jagged rocks, high winds. If you're a Castaway fan at all, you're thinking Tom Hanks in this moment. And that's John. And he's writing. And he has a revelation. And it's captured in our Bible in Revelations. And people still visit this island today to see where that book was written. He was eventually released from exile and he returned to Ephesus where his body is believed to be buried today. And his message when he comes back is very much 1 John. And so I want you to imagine this this stern, um, solid, grandfatherly, kind type of person where he's trying to get the message of Jesus across, but he's doing it in the most loving way possible. And he's trying to bridge the gap with the second and third generations of Christians. 
And so I, I picture him maybe talking to a younger audience as he's going through this. I think John is saying, this is what I want you to know. And this is what we've covered so far in 1 John, if you've been here the last couple weeks. As you abide in Jesus, your theology, your morality, and your social interactions are all going to change. So um, put this on the screen. As you abide in Jesus, your beliefs change. Your lifestyle changes, how you interact with sin, flee from sin, ask God to help you with sin, and your relationships change. If you read John carefully, you can't see, he doesn't ever get done telling people about how much God loves them and how we're to love others through that love. Now, this is my own commentary. This is Dustin's commentary. The beliefs change. I can write down my beliefs. In fact, as a pastor, I'm required to to write down a big theological paper about how I stand with our church and denomination. And lifestyle, you know, I can build a network of safety around me where I'm avoiding most sins. Sin does creep in, but I'm trying to avoid most sins. But honestly, I think the third one is just hard. And you get hit daily. Like someone walks in your office and you're not sure, like, what's about to happen. Or you're on a job site. Or your wife says, we need to talk. Like, You're constantly being hit again and again in in your relationships. And how do you respond in a Christ-like way? So I don't know if they're weighted or one's bigger than the other, but I just know the third one is hard. And today we ask Christ to be with us and near to us in this. Because it's really important. 1 John 4. So John outlines this a little bit later in, in these verses that I wanted to mention this morning. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to turn around and love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So people around us see God. They experience God through our love for others. It's a great idea, but honestly, daily, sometimes it seems impossible. So I want you to hear the gospel, the gospel message in this. The gospel message is this. Love originates with God. Love comes down to be with us in Jesus. Love flows through the cross. Love remains with us today through God's spirit, through his scriptures, through his church, through one another. In this, we experience God's love. And we experience the power to love others. Now, there is an easy love. You might call it a natural love or a a short-sighted love. It simply is this. I love people who love me. And why wouldn't I? Because they have great, you know, they've they've got great taste. Because it's really about me. And as soon as it becomes not about me, I have walls going up. God's love goes well beyond that. And I hope that every single person in this room can experience that for themselves and with other people. That it goes well beyond what's in it for me. This supernatural love builds bridges, doesn't just put up walls. It is a love regardless of whether the end goal involves me or betters me. There's a love when I still don't agree with someone. There's a love with people I don't know that look different than me, that I fear, that I don't understand. And the Bible even goes to the point of saying there's a love for those who are totally against me that I would call my enemies. Now we get this wrong. 
We get it wrong. And I'm going to share a story about getting it wrong. And you can judge me later. But this happens in college. And I, I reflected back on this and I thought, man, I could have done a better job. And so I want to tell you the story. Now, I was on a mission trip. It was my freshman year. And we were down in an inner city in the south. So it was very divided racially. And so we were, we were there. We were at the African-American church. And so we were learning all kinds of things that they were facing and the issues. And we were doing worship and celebration with them. And we were helping fix houses and do different outreaches in the area. In fact, um, the, the team that I was on, the part of the team, we were actually fixing bullet holes in the front of a house. You can kind of imagine that. It was a little bit, a little bit tense and, and a little bit um, trying. I was out of my element. But as a team, I was really hoping our team would be awesome and you'd all get along. And I thought we were, but there was one uh, girl who was my age who I felt like um, just kind of tore us all down or distracted from our purpose. And honestly, I was just annoyed with her. To be totally honest, I was annoyed with her. I felt like when she came in the room, she either created drama or wanted to, it to be about her, or she was just loud. And I, I was just, like, upset with her for a couple days, and I didn't really want to work beside her, but I had to. And so, finally, we had a devotion that, that covered Matthew 18. And if you've ever studied Matthew 18, um, there's a process of maybe talking to someone that you disagree with or you want to confront and it says, go to them first, and then if that doesn't work, take along a leader or someone else. And I thought, yes, now I have the Bible to really tell this girl what I think. <laughs> and so I um, did that, and it didn't really go very well. <laughs> and I was met with anger and tears. And I got a glimpse in that she was just trying to fit in, and she was just trying to be a part of the team. And, and now that I look back, you know, I probably was in a much better position. I just played soccer at, at Messiah College. And so probably on the social ladder, I had, it was probably pretty high. And she was brand new to a lot of people on the team. And she probably kind of felt like she was low. And, and we were just jockeying maybe for position. And probably that was just her way of trying to fit in. And if I really valued her and showed any love to her, I would have maybe, instead of throwing the Bible at her, just said, hey, how did you pick Messiah College? Like, why, why'd you come? And, and how did you pick this mission trip? And what, what's your major? And what do you want to get out of your four years that you're here? Those questions would have meant a lot more than, like, I, I, you're just annoying. And, and, and I don't know what to do with you. And out of Matthew 18, I'm just supposed to tell you this. I'm just honest. You know? And, and here's the problem. Okay, the problem is not with the passage. Okay? It's how I was using it. And abusing it. I, I was hiding behind Matthew 18 while I treated another Christian badly. And what I was doing, I was taking the most legalistic application of that passage to distract from the wrong that I was doing to her. And in my head, I thought I was the victim. I thought I was the victim. I thought our whole team was the victim. And in the end, I was probably really wrong. I was probably more of a wounder than a victim. Because, because here's the bottom line, and this is what I want you to hear. I didn't see her as a person. I saw her as a problem. And in my immaturity, I handled it poorly. At the end of this morning, we're going to do a traditional prayer together. Come hundreds of years old. And it just simply, it simply calls for a humbleness as we approach one another. 
knowing that we have been injured, but we have injured others. So what does John say to to a young 20-something Dustin on a mission trip? I think he says, listen, you came to show Christ to others. And if people here could really see into your team and how you're relating, they wouldn't see Jesus. Ouch. So if you hear me or Brian, uh, Brian or any of us talk about unity or showing love to one another, it's because it's so important. It's more important than probably the end goal or those goals, whatever those goals are, how we get there. And I, I've been a priv- it's been a privilege to be a part of, of relationships and teams and even our recent council where we do sometimes disagree or we want different things or we're, we're passionate about different things. It's still a really neat thing to experience equal respect and love and appreciation for one another through all those moments. I hope that we're able to capture that here at MBIC. So today's scripture, I, I went big and now I'm just going to duck down and go small. It's in your, it's in your bulletin, First um, John 2, 7 through 11. Um, we had a great reading from this. Um, I'm just going to cruise through and point out a couple things. By the way, if you look above in our bulletin, we have our vision points. And number five is an incredible connection to what we're doing today. And so I just encourage you um, at some point, just read number five again on our vision point and see how it connects with where we're at today. So starting off verse seven, John calls out that there's an old and a new command. There's a mixture of an old and a new commandment. And what's amazing is is the old commandment, as soon as he says commandment, everybody in the room knows what he's talking about, except us. But but back then, they would have all known he is talking about exactly what Corby read earlier. Exactly Deuteronomy 6.5 in the verses around it. But you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And if you would have grown up during that time period and thousands of years before, you would have listened and followed Deuteronomy 6.7. It says, you say this when you lie down and when you rise up. So you would have said this every morning and every evening. You would have known every word in this line. We call this the Shema. And it's this prayer that's thousands of years old, and it links us to our relationship with God. And so he would have been saying, this is our old commandment. But then he says, but there's a new commandment. And what he's referring to, what Jesus does with this command. So if you look and you read uh, out of Matthew 22, you're going to see that Jesus takes this command, repeats this command, and says a second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus would say the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you can get these two commandments right, you're probably just figured out what the prophets were trying to say to you. About what to do in every situation. Some of us have called this the Jesus Creed for a long time. Um, It's what Jesus said to follow. When we aren't sure about something, first look at this again and again. Deuteronomy 6.5 and then love your neighbors as yourself. And so so John was, was pulling this group of younger Christians into the anchor of this ancient prayer that Jesus made new. It, it's, I compare this to, to weddings. I, I love weddings. And the idea of two people coming together and forming a life together and living together is not a new idea. It's an old idea. Starting a family. It's an old idea. But if you're at a wedding, like there's a newness about it. 
Like you're excited. You're like, this is awesome. This is new. I'm so excited for this couple. There's a newness to it. So I think as we approach one another, we look at this old command as old as dirt. And we say, what in this situation can be new? What is Jesus making new in this? Okay, then it switches to more of a negative in verse 9, which, which I just summarized by saying, all talk and nothing changes. Have you ever been around someone who tells you all the right words and nothing changes? I mean, nothing changes. And they tell you it again and nothing changes. Or have you ever been that person where you said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll change that or I'll get that right or I'll speak differently next time and it doesn't happen. And so John really calls this out. Like this is walking in darkness. This is missing the point. Okay? Because if you are that person that's been told something and then the person has done something completely different, you felt rejection, you felt indifference, like you weren't even valuable enough for them to really care. And that's exactly the opposite message of Jesus, who hangs out with the least of these, the outcast. So this is kind of like this, this hate negative verse. And then it sandwiches a really good, positive, key verse. Verse 10, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Notice what this person says about themselves. Nothing. There's no claim here. There's no, hey, look at me. They're just living in the light. Uh, Another way to say it is they're living in a way that they are not stumbling and they're not causing others to stumble. In fact, they're a blessing to others. So I put living quietly Not that you have to be quiet about it. Not that you can't stand up for something. But that you're you're not saying, oh, look at me. But you're just living in grace and you're a blessing to others. And lastly, verse 11, again, kind of is a negative again. It contains the word hates. And I say hates because it's a present tense. And so what it's saying is, is right now, right now in the situation that you're in, if you're hating If you are in the middle of hating someone, of being so bitter, so jealous, so envious, and it's an ongoing, settled attitude and action, then you're living in darkness. You're not abiding in God. But we ask God to shine a light on that. We ask ask God, we say, in this middle of this dark cavern that I'm in, shine a light. Let me see it. Let me understand it. So we can do things differently. So what's my takeaway, Dustin? I, I, get, I get where John's going. I, I got Paul's thing in 1 Corinthians. But like, what is my takeaway? So I'm going to have you name a conflict to yourself. I'm going to have you name a tension. And I'm not asking you to name the other person in your head. Or just say that the conflict is Bob. Because it's so easy to see the person as the problem. And not focus in on the issue or the problem. And so now that you have that just in your head, like, like there's tension, there's anxiety, it, I don't know how to handle it, I can see how I've been bitter about this whatever with so-and-so, I want you to fill in the blank as we walk through this next slide. I want you to ask, why is this conflict so important to me? Am I willing to look in the mirror and examine and own it? Like, why is this getting to my heart? Why is this, why does it keep cropping up in my head again and again and again? Understand myself. Number two, is this conflict moving to the center of my life and pushing Christ out? 
In other words, how many times have I thought about this in the past week versus abiding in Christ? Or maybe I'm, I'm like, as soon as I can solve this, then I can bring Christ back in. And Jesus is saying, no, no, put me first. And we'll work through this together. Right now, this thing is at the center of your life. It's like on the throne that I should be on. Third, if we're honest then either choice we make is probably so much less important than how we relate to one another. Now, I know there are some big things, and there's some big struggles, and things we have to stand up for. But do we lose something big if we get our way and destroy the other person in the process? A lot of the medium to little stuff. Do we lose something big if we get, if we get our way and destroy the other person in the process? And lastly, how we handle this conflict determines the culture of our relationships. It kind of determines how we handle things next or what we're known for or what we're known to handle things. It's as simple as in my marriage, right? Janelle, she packs the dishwasher differently than I do. Mine's a more spontaneous, fun packing. (laughs) And hers is more orderly. And we can't figure out who's right and wrong yet. But, But how we handle that negotiation, I'll call it, Okay, that matters so much the next time we face something because it could be brutal. The next thing we face could be really heart-wrenching. And how we go about creating that culture of back and forth and, and loving one another is so important to what comes next. I'm going to have you stand. We're going to go to a, a time of, of just personal confession and of worship. And I want you to, to imagine Jesus in the center of a circle of men in the dirt. And in this circle, there's the woman caught in adultery. And it's not pretty. They pulled her out of a bedroom or a house, threw her on the ground, and they stuck Jesus in the middle and said, now tell us what to do, because it was a trap. And I imagine Jesus kneeling down and considering the fact that her sin was for sure not the only sin in the room. It's so easy to point our finger at the other person. But Jesus was considering the lust that was represented in the circle of guys. He was was interested. He knew that there was sin of arrogance and pride all around that circle. And so he did. He said this incredible thing to the, the girl. He said, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. But I think he also was inviting everyone around that circle with that same message. To the pride and the arrogant one. I I see you. I see you. And I'm saying you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. So at this time at the end, when we're just maybe confessing something to God in relation to how we've treated others, how we've interacted, maybe our selfishness from time to time. We're going to say a Bible verse together and then do this traditional prayer. And and as we go to worship, which is great, um, uh, if you want to come up front and and pray or pray with one of our prayer team, that's open to you. So let's do this verse together. John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And we'll say this prayer together. Oh, my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul. Because you are all good and worthy of all my love. I love my neighbor as myself for the love of you. 
I forgive all who have injured me, and I ask pardon of those whom I have injured. Amen.